them, amen. But Proverbs 13, verse number 22, the Bible says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the, of the belly of the wicked shall want. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say thank you tonight, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place, Lord, where you meet with us. God, we come in here, Lord, desiring to meet with you, but Lord, oftentimes we find out, Lord, you came desiring to meet with us. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that a God is righteous and as holy and as wonderful and powerful as you, God, gives us the time of day. Lord, I have done absolutely nothing to earn your grace, nothing to earn your presence. But Lord, I sure am grateful, Lord, that we get to go to a place, Lord, and get to assemble together, Lord, and just, Lord, just for a few moments and a few minutes, Lord, just to enjoy the goodness of God. Lord, what you're doing here tonight, what you've done tonight, God, I ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord, as we go home, Lord, and it just rub off on us on, on tomorrow morning, God. We'd have to tell our coworkers about it and have to tell our friends about it. Find random strangers and tell them about the goodness of God. Lord, help us to go. Lord, as we prepare our hearts this month to give, Lord, help us to go as well. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you have it behind the cross of Calvary. I pray you empty out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, you make preaching, God, what you designed it and desire it to be this evening. Lord, just let me be a mouthpiece, an instrument in the hands of the master tonight. Lord, you can do far better, God, if I just offer myself to you instead of me trying to do it by myself. Lord, I sure do love you. I sure am grateful tonight and thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we ask you that you'd help the Christian family comfort them, God, in ways, Lord, that we cannot tonight. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, there's certain times and certain places I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help, but Lord, you've never experienced that. You always know what we need. And we ask tonight that you do the same thing with the word of God for us tonight. Lord, make it personal, make it, or we can apply it in our everyday life, make it practical. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I was studying this and going through this and uh, past few weeks, you've probably felt like you've been in English class, amen? We've studied conjunctions, we've studied punctuation, we've seen how God has used that in his word to bring all these thoughts together, but really in these last few verses here, verse 23 is the key that unlocks this portion of the chapter. What does verse number 23 say? Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there's that is destroyed for want of judgment. We've, we've seen that, and we, it, it follows that same principle that we've looked looked at uh, these past few weeks, there is the conjunction but, there is the punctuation colon, and how God once again takes these opposing ideas and in his word, they, he draws them together so you and I can see them right next to each other and see the difference that is there and then ask ourselves, what side am I going to find myself on? Am I going to be on the left side of the colon or on the right side of the colon? Am I going to be on the good side or on the bad side? But notice here this, this evening, what, what separates these two sides tonight? We see that in verse 23, the Bible said that there is a poor person or, or the poor people, amen. But yet, though they are poor, they have the opportunity to have what? Much. 
and much what? Much food, amen? How many of you in this, 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 this uh, inflation-driven economy would say, boy, I wish food wasn't as much as it is, amen? Our grocery bill has doubled in the past year this, this evening, and I'm in the same boat. They don't give me a pastor's discount when I go to Aldi and say, oh, you're a pastor. You just go have whatever you want, amen? That would be a blessing, but it doesn't operate that way. Uh, but tonight we see here that, that these poor have the opportunity to have much, and then we see those who could have much are destroyed. Look at verse 23. But there is that is destroyed for want of judgment. You say, well, preacher, what separates these two groups? Besides the conjunction, besides the colon, what separates these two? And I'd like to tell you tonight, it's action. It is an action that one does and one does not. See, the poor can have much, but it requires the action of tilling. Your Bible says right there the word tillage. That means to till up the soil, to work the dirt, to prepare it for seed with the plans of a harvest. But that doesn't happen by accident. And it doesn't just happen with dreams and hopes, amen. It takes action. You can sit on your front porch all spring and summer long and say, boy, I hope I can grow a couple of tomatoes, this, uh, tomato plants this year. I hope I can get some cucumbers. I hope I can get some green beans. I hope I can get some squash and some watermelon. But if there's no action that takes place, you are wistful dreaming tonight. And he said here, the poor can have much, but it requires action. Then notice those who are destroyed tonight in verse number 23. Why are they destroyed? There's no action. There is no action on their life. It is not due to their lack of opportunity, but rather their lack of action. That phrase, want to judgment, right? It's not a phrase that we use in our modern day English. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, you know what, you want for judgment, right? It's, we don't use it, but the understanding is tonight is that they never come to the decision to actually do anything. They sit back and they, 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 they think about opportunities, but when it comes time for action, they give every excuse in the book. They can never decide when. They can't decide where. They can't decide how and, 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 and when to start these things. They are waiting for perfect conditions in an imperfect world. We sometimes, we just finished up uh, painting TR's room and remodeling it a little bit and, and we were talking about different things of uh, measuring and cutting, putting things up and that. And a lot of times my phrase is, well, in a perfect world, you could just put a tape measure on it, everything's fine, you don't have to figure in square. And it would, In a perfect world, it'd be a whole lot easier. But if you ever do any kind of construction, you find out real quick, we don't live in a perfect world. But here's the problem a lot of times in our Christian life. We say, oh, preacher, I want to serve God and I, I want to do something great for God and I want to raise my family for God and I want to do this and I want to do that. We've got the desire. But when it comes time for action, we'll say, well, preacher, I, I, it's just not right. I've just got to wait and I've got to, I don't know how and I don't know where and I don't know when tonight. Can I say there's going to come a point in your life where you're just going to have to start. You're going to have to say, all right, this is it. I'm starting. Uh, can I say tonight, and the reality is, when you start, it's not going to be perfect. Well, I remember the first time I ever preached, Brother Sonny, I, I, had, I had the same amount of notes that I have tonight. It's a crazy thing. That, those four pages of a note on my first sermon lasted me all of three minutes. 
I, I preached on the, the course of life and, and, and I had great illustrations and I thought, boy, when I get done preaching, people are gonna line up to sign my Bible. Brother Jacob, Billy Graham's gonna call me and he's gonna, he's gonna hey, Brother Taylor, I, I, need, I need you to fill in for me and I, I need you to take some meetings for me. And, and, and I, you know, I thought all of that, I got done in three minutes and everybody stared at me and I stared at them. And I said, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all that I have. But the same thing comes when it comes to your Bible reading, when it comes to your prayer life, when it comes to your personal devotion, when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to any aspect in the Christian life, if you're waiting on perfect conditions to start, more than likely you're not gonna start. You're gonna say, all right, I'm gonna read my Bible. And you're gonna say, all right, Lord, I, I'm, I'm just gonna open it up somewhere and I'm gonna read and you're Leviticus. Right, you're going to say, man, this is, this is tough reading or, or I'm going to pray. When I get done praying, I mean, I, I'm going to pray for an hour straight and, and I'm talking about the, the Grand Canyon's going to move and all this good stuff and you get done praying, you've prayed your heart out, you look at it and a minute and 30 seconds is going by. Can I say tonight, never let the length of your prayer be more important than the heart of your prayer. Well, how do you know, preacher? Jonah preached an eight-word sermon and the whole nation of Nineveh got saved. Not about the whole nation, but a great majority of them got saved and believed what uh, Jonah had to say. Elijah prayed 23 words. Fire fell out of heaven. But we see tonight, you've got to start somewhere. We see tonight that those who never started, the Bible said they're destroyed. In essence, they, I, I mean, I, I should, and I know that I can, and I know that's where the Lord's about, but I'm just waiting tonight. The Bible tells that a child is known by their doings. And can I say tonight, so will you. You'll be known by that what you do for the Lord. We can have dreams. We can have, Brother Bob preached on it Sunday night, just launch out a little further, go a little deeper, take another step tonight. And can I encourage you? Can I piggyback off that tonight and just say, step back and say, all right, what in my life? The desire's there, but the action is lacking. We see three people tonight in these, these remaining verses that, that, that they are not just specific, but their action is also outlaid for us tonight. And so we're going to look at these three people and look at their action tonight and to see and ask ourselves, are these actions present in my life? Because I guarantee tonight we all have the desire these three people have. We all have the want to that these people have. We all have the hopes and the dreams that these three people have, but do we have the action? We need three people tonight that we need to have the actions as well in our life. Look at number one tonight, we see a good man. Look at verse number 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So his action is he leaves an inheritance. He leaves. The word good is a, it's a hard word for me and you to define because in our modern day vernacular, we use good to describe, it's just like the word love in our modern society. We look at somebody and you look at your spouse, I look at Miss Beckett, I love you with all my heart. Right, but then I'll go to a restaurant and say, man, I'd love to have a cheeseburger right now. Now, we know tonight that those do not mean that's not the same kind of love. And it ought not to be the same kind of love, amen? <laughs> Your spouse ought to mean more to you than a number seven at the local restaurant, amen? But it's the same thing as the word good, right? It's hard to describe, but we know when we see it. 
We know when we experience it. We know when we hear it, when we touch it, when we taste it. We can say, man, that tastes good. Man, that sounds good. Man, that looks good. Man, that feels good. The same could be said about people. The evidence of goodness will be noticeable by their actions. How do, how, we, how do we know this man is a good man? It's not simply because he put a title on and a name tag and said, I am good man. It's because of an action that he did. It's because of uh, an effort that took place on his behalf and by his own uh, uh, want tonight. Both the good man and the sinner leave behind something. The difference tonight is the recipient of the investment and the longevity of the investment. We see tonight the good man is known for what he leaves behind and so is, the Bible says, the wealth of a sinner, right? We see they both leave something behind. The good man's inheritance blesses his children's children. Boy, how many enjoyed hearing Brother Kim pray for little baby Judah tonight? He said, Lord, I'm so excited. Can I say tonight, I'm not at that stage yet. I haven't arrived there yet. And Lord willing, it's gonna be years down the road. But can I say, me and Miss Becky have already talked, wouldn't you know, just how we're gonna do this with our grandkids. And a lot of times it is us trying to embarrass our children. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see older couples and dress like older couples in, in public. And uh, that's how we're gonna dress. I'm gonna get me some long tube socks, some short khaki shorts, and I'm gonna wear suspenders with them, amen. I'm gonna do it all, amen. And <laughs> be hollering at my kid, hey, <laughs> help your dad. That ain't my daddy, I don't know who that is. <laughs> We see the good man's hair. He blesses his children's children. In essence, it continues to bless down the line. See, a lot of times when we hear the word inheritance, our mind goes to one direct money. How many of y'all wish y'all had that rich uncle that had that real big inheritance that somehow accidentally left it to you, amen? <laughs> I checked my family line. I ain't got none. <laughs> none whatsoever. They might leave me some farm equipment somewhere, but I <laughs> ain't got no money. But notice it continues to bless down the line and it's, and it's always a blessing to hear my grandpa, my grandma was faithful. They served the Lord and, and, they, 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 gave and, and, and uh, they gave themselves to the Lord and they, they, they raised us and helped raise us and instilled in us something that they instilled in my parents and passed it down to me. And he said, well, preacher, I don't have that kind of heritage. I didn't come from a line of preachers. I didn't come from a line of saved people. I didn't come from a line of good Christian people. Can I say tonight, that might be the case, but thanks be to God because of Calvary, you can start it tonight, amen? Man. A good man's inheritance, he, he, he leaves it to his children's children. And can I say tonight, you can pass something far more better than wealth down to your children. It's wisdom. Matter of fact, people have probably passed down more money than you could ever leave behind to your children. And the people they left behind wasted it all. Can I say tonight, there's something more valuable than money to leave behind. There's a greater inheritance to leave behind in its wisdom. We see the good man's inheritance. It blesses his children's children. We see the sinner's wealth. It's turned over to another. Well, the Bible says right there in verse number 22. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. <laughs> Preacher, put that in helpful language. Here's what God's saying. He said he'll let a sinner gain everything he can gain from this worldly means. He said he'll have the biggest bank account, the nicest houses, the nicest car, have all this, that, and the other. When they die, God will give it to somebody who would actually use it for his glory. He said, it's turned over 
to the just. It's, it's, and here's the thing, it's all about him when it comes to the sinner. It's what I want, it's what I desire, it's my desires. I, it's all about me. And God said, well, when you die, I'll just give it to somebody else. Do you realize tonight that the house and the land and the car and you fill in the blank that you've strived so hard for, you've worked so hard for, that when you're dead, it's gonna go to somebody else? <laughs> I remember I was, I was, I guess I was in my mid-20s. <laughs> I said like it was a long time ago, <laughs> less than a decade ago. And I, somebody came and brought me a whole thing of clothes in different you know, suits and ties and shirts and pants. And man, I was ecstatic over the moon. And they said, yeah, it came from a dead guy. Like he was wearing it. <laughs> and then you just took it off him and gave it to me. And then it, was, it kind of felt weird. Preacher, you still wear Oh, you, be, you better believe I still, still wore it, amen. He's dead. He ain't wearing it no more. <laughs> Notice the sinner's wealth is turned over to another. It's taken, it's given to, not, not just anybody, but to the just. Right, for example, we see it in our Bible. Right, when Israel left out of Egypt, the Bible said they spoiled the Egyptians. What does that mean, preacher? That means that they, the, the Egyptians were so ready for Israel, to, they, they done lost their firstborn, their waters done turned to blood, there's locusts, there's sickness, there's plague after plague after plague. And the Bible said the Israelites came out with a high hand and they spoiled Egypt. It means that the women were taking their earrings out, giving it to the Israelites, necklaces were taken off, they were taking gold, they weren't taken from, but the Egyptians were saying, literally, get out of here. Take this with you. <laughs> and they turned it over to the just. Turn over to God's people. You study your Bible, find out a lot of that ended up in the construction of the tabernacle. God, God knows how to get what we need tonight, amen? There was a little lady, every morning she'd go up to her front porch and she'd step out of her front door on her front porch and raise both her hands and say, praise the Lord. She did it day after day. Now, she didn't live out in the country. She lived in a subdivision, amen? And if you know anything about subdivision, there's homeowners associations and all that kind of stuff. That didn't stop her. She loved the Lord. She'd walk out every morning, raise both her hands and say, praise the Lord. And she would just say it every day over and over again. Well, finally, uh, there was a man that moved in next to her. He was atheist. And, but that didn't stop her. And she'd get up every morning and say, praise the Lord. But it bothered him. Right, every, every morning he could set his, his clock by. She was gonna be out there in the morning raising her hand saying, praise the Lord. Well, there was a bad storm that came through and uh, the lady walked everywhere to get her groceries and all that. She stepped out and you know it's freezing, snow on the ground, ice everywhere. And she looked out and she began to pray. She said, Lord, you know I need groceries and Lord, you know I need this and Lord, you know I need that and I'm gonna trust you, Lord, to provide it for me even though I know I can't get to the store right now. And she said, praise the Lord. Well, that atheist man said, here's my chance. Here's my chance. So he goes to the store, buys her groceries for her, buys everything that she had mentioned in her prayer request to the Lord, puts it on her porch, knocks on the door and hides in the bushes. That lady walks out, she sees all that, and she says, praise you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for providing all of my groceries, all of my needs. That man hopped out of the bush and said, it wasn't the Lord, it was me. I provided those things for you, and without missing a beat, she said, thank you, Lord, for providing my groceries and making the devil pay for it. <laughs> Can I say tonight, the sinner never sees the return on their investment. 
But the good man sees his return over and over and over again. What did John say in his epistles? I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. We see a good man. What's his action? He leaves behind an inheritance. Let me ask you tonight, who's going to enjoy what you've been investing in? We see a good man tonight. Notice number two tonight. We see a loving father. <laughs> and what a verse it comes out of, amen? Look at verse number 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now, for a while there, I thought this was a life verse of the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. <laughs> and we don't know much about them, but they spank their kids. They gotta be saved. Right. It's, it's one of those things like, and, and, and we live in a culture, right, where you spank your kids. <gasps> what are we going to do? You ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> Last time I checked, you ain't parenting them, amen? But this verse goes in the op opposite direction of modern, modern parenting. The modern parenting says, well, you just make, let the kids make all their choices. Can I say God gave you, and made, gave you a child and made you a parent so you can make some choices for them? Because they're at the age uh, of six and seven is not the time for them to be making life-changing decisions, life-altering decisions. That's why the society that we're living in, we've got kids in school dressed up like cats saying, I'm a cat. No, a mom and a dad needs to go find them somewhere and say, you are not a cat. You are a child given to us by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> and do whatever means to persuade them of that. My dad told us growing up, he said, if you ever come home and say anything crazy, he said, I'm gonna take the time to beat it out of you. Well, it worked, amen. Did you come home and say nothing? No. I knew my dad wasn't playing. My dad whooped me and my brother through a mattress. Amen. Are you mad about it? No, I deserved it, amen. But notice this, society says don't correct them, your, your kids, you'll hurt and hinder them. Boy, how many are glad that you had a mom and dad that corrected you, Amen. They stepped in and said, no, that ain't right, amen. The Bible says if you're not willing to do that and if you're not willing to, to be that father, to be that, that, that mother in their life that says, hey, that's not right. right? The Bible makes it real clear, our, our desire for them. And I'm not saying it's always the easiest thing to do, but I'm not asking, we, we can't operate on feelings. We've got to operate according to the word of God. The Bible says if you correct them in the incorrect way, or excuse me, if you correct them in the correct way, you'll actually help them. You'll help them. It expresses your love to them. Notice, notice the emphasis on the correct way. It's not just any way. Right? There's a lot of people who spank their kids, and I'd be going on record and say they're doing it wrong. There's a lot of people who discipline their kids, and I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye and say, no, they're doing it wrong. I've, I've sat and I've heard people brag of how, how much they spank their kids and how much they beat their kids and how much they, they do this to their kids, and, and they stand and say, and I'm thinking to myself, I think you're lacking training. <laughs> it's one thing to discipline, but the whole aspect of the parenting isn't just discipline, but it's training as well. And the Bible gives us the correct way. We can see right here in verse number 24, the Bible says a loving father takes it personal. Notice what it says right there in verse number four. He that spareth his rod. It doesn't just say a rod or the rod. 
It says his rod. In essence, that father steps up and says, this is my responsibility. That child that I helped bring into this world, they are given to me by God to train them and teach them. We live in a society, if the dad's not there, oh, we call them dead people. A lot of times, even in Christian homes, the dad is there, but he's already checked out. I put in my eight, I put in my 10, I put in my 12 hours. Honey, you deal with the kids. I ain't got time for it. Can I say a checked out dad is just as bad as a deadbeat dad? And he said, the father says, he takes it, this is my rod. It's an observation. And I was going through this. I was getting things ready for Good News Club. And it, it, I was, my wife was right there and we're getting all these names together, name tags, all that stuff together. And I began to read. It seemed like permission slip after permission slip. And it blew my mind how many of those young kids, their last name didn't match up with their parents' name. Or it matched up with the mom, but it didn't match up with the dad. And so, and this is just an observation tonight. This is just, uh, as I, I begin to see that, and you gotta understand, when you have a mind of a preacher, sometimes you just see things, and before you know it, you're down deep in a rabbit hole. But I, I begin to think about that, and I begin to think, man, can I, can I say tonight, and I'm speaking from experience, speaking through something I, I've been through. Can I say tonight when it comes to divorce and even unwed uh, parenting in that sense, children out of wedlock, I think the person that suffers the most and all that's the child. You got to think about this where, where, where the average marriage is, divorce rates over 50% in America now. And kids are being raised up in a home whom their mom's there, but the man that is now in the home is not their dad, and how does that man properly discipline that child? See, because as a father tonight, there's only two people that I will allow to discipline my children. Me and my wife. Grandma and grandpa don't get to spank them. Aunts and uncles don't get to spank them. Church members don't get to spank them. Listen, my kids have a problem, come to me with it. Right, it's the same thing that I'll do to you. Right, because in my mind I think, boy, that young needs a spanking, but it ain't my place. I, I'm not that authority in their life. And I'll come to you and you, you, you let the chips fall where they will, amen. But I begin to think we're, 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 kids are growing up in a generation where this aspect of a loving father that corrects them and chastens them out of love and a desire to see them do well is missing. And we look at our society and say, what's wrong with the children? What's wrong with them? We gotta look at the environment they're living up. A, a, a loving father doesn't push his responsibility off on anybody else. <laughs> I had a disagreement with, with my own father-in-law. He said, if your kids act up down here, I'm gonna spank. I said, no, you won't. No, you won't. He said, why not? I said, because they're not your kids. I said, you, you, you send me and I'll deal with it, amen. Get Miss Becky, we'll deal with it, amen. And you can ask our kids, do we deal with it? Do we deal with it, T.R.? Do we deal with disobedience? Yeah, right. It's even, even Shiloh's getting to learn some of those lessons, amen. Wow, a loving father takes it personal. A loving father makes it practical. Notice what the Bible says right there in verse number 24. He spareth his rod, hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And boy, that's a good Bible word, isn't it? Chasteneth, right? Takes them behind the woodshed and wears them out, but really it's an act of correction. Right, when done with the child, when, when, it's, when it's done, right, the child should know what is the difference between right and wrong. See, whether you realize it or not, <laughs> I gotta think about this. There, there's a part of my bed that chastens me. 
chasteneth me. Right? At the end of our bed, the foot of our bed, there's a frame on it, and there's an end of that frame that sticks about that far outside of the mattress. And every time I walk in the bedroom at, at night or it's dark or I'm getting up in the morning, it'll chase me every now and again. It'll correct me, amen. Oh, it gets right here, <laughs> right above my knee, right? And oh, takes me out. And it reminds me, hey, don't walk right there. Don't do that. <laughs> you, you can, but it's at your detriment. Notice this, to have the effect, right, of, uh, of being corrected, right? It must be dealt with immediately, just like the Holy Spirit deals with you. He don't wait three months to deal with you. He deals with you in the moment. So this isn't right. This is what you're not supposed to do. It ought to be the same with our children. Here's, here's the problem. When you don't deal with it immediately when it comes to disciplining children you, and you wait for it to build up and all of a sudden once it's built up, now anger and all that that comes flying out, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he said, preacher, how do you know? It's, <laughs> I grew up, amen. <laughs> I finally had enough of this. And then all of a sudden gloves are off. Right, but when you deal with it immediately, well, it's still small, right? Whoever said, I don't know whoever said that, you know, I'm not going to deal with that pot until it's boiling. That makes absolutely no sense, right? Because it's a whole lot easier to handle a pot that isn't boiling than one that is. To have this effect, I guess this, this part's for you, Brother Jacob, because baby Judah's just about here. <laughs> Amen. Must be dealt with immediately, not a week later or when it's all built up. He makes it practical when it's done. Because here's the thing, if you wait and say, you know, three months, a week later after what they've done, they're going to say, well, what, what is this for? Why have you done this? Right? What are you doing to me? But when you deal with it in the moment, it's still fresh on their mind and they understand the difference between right and wrong. Then it has to be consistent. That word right there in verse number 24, betimes. There you go. There's a good modern English word for you, betimes. How many betimes do you go to the cafeteria? <laughs> we don't use that word. The word, but it means to seek early. It means to seek early. It means you don't miss a needed opportunity. Now, I think there's a healthy balance, amen. I, I think that, you know, be consistent in your discipline, but also be consistent in your compassion. Be consistent in your truth, but also be consistent in your love, right? But why should you be consistent so your child doesn't develop the wrong mindset that it's only bad when I do big things? That's why God deals with you when there's a root of bitterness in your heart. That's why God deals with you when it's just one word, when it's just one thought, when it's just, just one attitude, when it's just one action, because he knows if he does not, we'll develop the attitude that I'm only going to get in trouble, or I'm only going to face discipline or chastising when I do big things. We see tonight a loving father is known. What is his action? Chastisement, Ch chastening tonight. When it comes to correction, how consistent are you? Not only just to deal it out, but how consistent are you to heed as God corrects you? We see a loving father. We see a good man. Then finally, number three tonight, we see the righteous. Look at verse number 25. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. The righteous is the just. That's, that's you and I tonight. We became righteous and justified on behalf of the righteousness and the justification of Christ tonight. We, we understand tonight we didn't earn our salvation, but we understand we are righteous in the eyes of God. We are justified in the eyes of God because of what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. But we see tonight just because we are something doesn't mean we always act like we are something. 
Right? Just because we know who we are doesn't mean that's how our actions are portrayed in our life. And so we must ask ourselves, if we are so righteous and we're so justified, then we should have the appetite of a righteous person. The appetite of a justified person. Notice the differing appetites in verse number 25. The righteous, their appetite is the satisfaction of the soul. Whereas the wicked, they are simply satisfying their belly. Here's the thing tonight, write this down, your stomach is never totally satisfied. Your stomach is never totally satisfied. Prove it, preacher. How many of y'all go to Thanksgiving dinner? Was that the last meal you ate in your life? I can sit down at Thanksgiving dinner right around lunchtime. I can get my plate so full. I'm talking about it looks like one of them dumbbells when it's got all the weight on both ends of it. That thing's bending over on both sides. Gravy dripping on the carpet. It's not in my house. It's not my problem. <laughs> I'm just picking tonight. But I, I can eat that whole thing. Sit back. Oh, I ate too much. Why do I do this to myself every year? Right? Three hours later, we got any leftovers? I'm hungry again, right? It always wants more, right? It never stops getting hungry. And here's the thing tonight. It's a great example of your flesh. Your flesh will never be satisfied. It will always want more. Brother Sonny, is that an RU principle? Little sins lead to big sins. That's what your flesh is. It takes a little and then it desires more and more and more and more. That's why we tell our young people, don't even get involved with it in the first place. Don't, don't do it once. Don't do it for the first time because if you never start, you never have to stop. Because we know, how many of us can say by example, it started small, preacher, and it got real big, and it was more than I could handle. Right, your stomach's never totally, totally satisfied. Little sins lead to big sins. But notice, your soul is already satisfied. Your soul, if you're saved by the grace of God, you have Christ. Last time I checked, he's all you need. And your soul is satisfied tonight. It has found what it's looking for, and it can find nothing greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If I receive more from Christ, then praise the Lord, amen. But if not, I already have everything I need. I have it in Christ. How many glad tonight when the day you got saved, the, the day the Lord you know, saved you, changed your life, you said, boy, I, I found everything that I need. But how many know he's been faithful to give you a whole lot more? But he, the fact that you have him, you are satisfied tonight. If you receive more, that's wonderful. But if not, no problem. I already have all that I need. Let me ask you, do you hear, do people hear more about what you wish you had or what you already have in Christ? Oh, I wish, I tell you what, I wish I could stay home and live off the government like them people can. Really? <laughs> I wish I they had to go to church on a Wednesday. I wish I, I wish, I wish I could sleep in on a Sunday morning. I wish I, well, you can tonight. I'm not stopping you. But can I say, I don't know about you, I wanted to be here. And the way y'all sang and the way we worshiped, sounded like y'all wanted to be here too. Why? We found the one who's everything that we need. <laughs> What's the righteous action? The Bible said he eats to the satisfying of his soul. He takes in that which is a blessing to him. The good man leaves behind the inheritance. The loving father chasteneth. The righteous eateth. Are you going to be a person of action? Are you going to be someone that we can say, yep, they are known by their doings. 
There's a desire there, but the desire is backed behind or backed with in action. What is, there was a commercial that used to come out when I was growing up, and it was something along the line, what is your verb going to be? What are you going to be known for doing? What is your action going to be tonight? Let's pray.